Hello, food nerds. This is Nick, and you're listening to Literally Delicious. In this, our first episode, I'm covering my favorite food moment in all of literature in one of my all-time favorite comfort foods. I'm talking about the chowder scene from Herman Melville's 1851 humongo novel slash whaling encyclopedia, Moby Dick. New England clam chowder. You know what I'm talking about. It's a thick, cream-based soup containing clams, of course, usually some vegetables like onions or leeks, typically a pork product in there, and a starch to thicken it up and to make it even heartier. Chowder gets its origins from Europe, but came to the British colonies where it took on some distinct regional forms. The Manhattan clam chowder, which is tomato-based, Rhode Island clam chowder, which is sort of a hybrid, thin and brothy, yet buttery, but no tomatoes. And, of course, the New England clam chowder, which I've just described. New England is my favorite variety, and it so happens to be my family's favorite, even though I didn't grow up in New England. Actually, there was this time my grandfather on my mom's side, for whom I believe I inherited the chowder gene, and my grandmother took me to me and my brother to Yellowstone. And we drove, I'd say, probably for about a week to get to and from Pennsylvania and Idaho. And I spent that week sitting right up against luggage and my younger brother in the back of my grandfather's pickup truck. I think my brother and I were 7 and 10, respectively. So, as you can probably guess, we did not travel well together. I'm talking constantly arguing, whining, and even fisticuffs. I'm surprised that we weren't dropped off somewhere in Iowa to begin a new life. But anyway, the only real relief we got from the road was stopping at diners along the highways for food. And this was the peak of my clam chowder craze. So I think I must have gotten clam chowder in most states between Pennsylvania and Idaho, and many were very, very good, if my memory serves me correctly. One that really stands out, though, was the one that my grandfather and I enjoyed in Idaho, and that chowder was loaded with potatoes. No surprise there. But the chowder I'm going to concoct with you today actually hasn't any potato in it at all, and for reasons that we will discuss later, It may be unlike any clam chowder that you have ever tasted. Through close reading of passages of Moby Dick, historical farming and fishing records, and 19th century recipes, I'm going to make the chowder that Ishmael and Queequeg enjoyed at the Tripods Inn and Nantucket. Moby Dick is a very difficult book to summarize, but if I had to boil it down, get it, boil it down to a couple sentences, I'd say it's about a sailor named Ishmael, who is a little down in the dumps and looking for adventure when he joins up with the fateful crew of the Pequod, led by the obsessive Captain Ahab, who risks life and limb and livelihood on a zany journey to kill the white whale Moby Dick, who previously had chomped off Ahab's leg, and this is before the the novel even begins. But many say that the book is the finest work of American literature, but for me, a freshman undergrad barely awake in his survey course, most of the novel is impenetrable. But a moment that did always stand out to me is the delightfully descriptive passage about Ishmael and Queequeg eating chowder. So, for some context, the book starts in New Bedford, Massachusetts, where Ishmael meets Queequeg, a fellow sailor who's also searching for a whaling vessel to work for and hopefully strike it big with. At this point in time, Nantucket, Massachusetts, is the whaling industry capital of the world, treading a strikingly huge path 
around the globe in pursuit of the highly valued ambergris, which at that time was used in a number of products, uh, such as candles and oils for lighting lanterns. As the pair set out for Nantucket from New Bedford, they are recommended accommodations at the Tripots Inn, owned by a Mr. Hosea Hussey, where they will try the potluck, which is uh, actually a term where we get potluck today. So you would go to an inn, try whatever they had, and that would be your potluck. It is the infamous Tripots clam chowder that we will be uh, the subject of our deep dive today. And here is the original text of Moby Dick about the dinner Ishmael and Queequeg enjoyed. <clears throat> Quote, Upon making known our desires for a supper and a bed, Mrs. Hussey, postponing further scolding for the present, ushered us into a little room, and seating us at a table spread with the relics of a recently concluded repast, turned round to us and claimed, Clam or cod? What is that about cods, ma'am? said I, with much politeness. Clam or cod? she repeated. A clam for supper? A cold clam? Is that what you mean, Mrs. Hussey? says I. But as a rather cold and clammy reception in the wintertime, ain't it, Mrs. Hussey? But being in a great hurry to resume scolding, excuse me, words, but being in a great hurry to resume scolding the man in the purple shirt who was waiting for it in the entry, and seeming to hear nothing about the word clam, Mrs. Hussey hurried towards an open door leading to the kitchen, and bawling out, clam for two, disappeared. Queequeg, said I, do you think we can make a supper for us both on one clam? However, a warm and savory steam from the kitchen served to belie the apparently cheerless prospect before us. But when that smoking chowder came in, the mystery was delightfully explained. Oh, sweet friends, hearken to me. It was made of small, juicy clams, scarcely bigger than hazelnuts, mixed with pounded chip biscuits and salted pork cut up into little flakes, the whole enriched with butter and plentifully seasoned with pepper and salt. So fantastic was the chowder that right after they finished their savory supper, Ishmael calls out for the cod chowder and says that it's just as delicious. But no catalog of ingredients is ever given for the cod chowder. Small clams, pounded chip biscuit, salted pork chopped finely, butter, pepper, and salt. We also learn in a later passage that there was milk in the soup as well, for Ishmael observes Mr. Hussey's cow feeding on fish remnants, which gave the milk a fishy flavor. A simple recipe is given with very few ingredients and even fewer notes about how the chowder was made. Now, I know that this may not be saying much about a 135-chapter book, but this chowder had to be pretty frickin' spectacular for Melville to devote an entire chapter to it. We will get into the technique that might have been used to make the scrumptious chowder, but before then, why don't we just address the question I know you want to ask. Where are the potatoes? Are you seriously calling this soup New England clam chowder whenever it doesn't even have potato? Well, actually, in the 19th century, there was a debate about whether chowder should include this relatively experimental crop or stick to its earlier iterations, which contained ship biscuit as its primary starch component. According to James D. Alsop in the New England Quarterly, the farming of experimental crops such as barley, corn, hay, and potatoes were not incentivized by the Nantucket Agricultural Society until the late 1850s, after the book's publication. That doesn't mean you couldn't get potatoes from the inland, but this place didn't seem like one that would go out of its way to procure such ingredients. 
Professor Perry Miller reports that the entire purpose of the Chowder chapter of Moby Dick was to allow Melville to make his comment about whether Chowder should have potatoes or not. And we can definitely see which side he stands on there. But without the potato, what other vegetation might you expect in the tripods clam chowder? Well, Ishmael doesn't refer to any in his description of the chowder. The earliest known recipe for chowder printed in the United States is from the September 23rd, 1751 edition of the Boston Evening Post, which calls for vegetables, uh, actually no vegetables, but does interestingly call for wine. The addition of alcohol is something of a callback to the French origins of the dish. And I'll be in returning later to the inclusion of alcohol. But as for the vegetables, I must admit that I plan to go a little bit off script here, adding onions and leek to the final recipe, which I will share with you later. But before you tune me out and call me unfaithful to the original recipe, let me explain. Onions and leeks were available in Nantucket at the time, and they were hardy enough to withstand long journeys on ships. So even though Ishmael makes no reference to them, it's not outlandish, outlandish excuse me, to suggest that the chowder could have had onion and leeks. At any rate, I want to be able to enjoy the chowder that I'm going to make, and some aromatic veggies will be 100% necessary for that. But the ingredients Ishmael does reference as being in the tripod chowder. What are those? What is a ship biscuit? Or salt pork, for that matter? Well, the ship biscuit is a simple combination of wheat and water baked into a hard cracker, meant to last basically forever on board ships, making journeys around the world without docking for long stretches of time. Meanwhile, salt pork is another product made to survive the long seafaring journeys. Cuts of pork, the commonest of which is the pork belly, side, or back, are cured in salt to extend its shelf life. Salt pork required no refrigeration, excuse me, refrigeration, as it was kept in the ship's hold, but today's salt pork you'll find vacuum-wrapped in plastic and kept in the coolers next to the butcher's aisle. New Englanders continue to use salt pork in their cooking today, so spare the ship biscuit, this list of ingredients probably doesn't look that strange as the raw ingredients for a chowder. The interesting part is that Ishmael calls the biscuit pounded, which means ground into a powder. What's wild is that this technique isn't used in other recipes for chowder that predate the book's publication. Other recipes of the period that layered the biscuit on top of the pork and the fish. From an 1838 recipe, quote, Lay some slices of good fat pork in the bottom of your pot. Then lay your clams on top of the pork, then a layer of biscuit, and alternately the other materials until you've used them all. Then put in about a quart of water. Let it simmer till the clams are done. Previously to its being thoroughly done, add pepper, salt, and such seasoning as you like, and a thickening flour with a coffee cup of good cream or rich milk. So, as you just heard, the early chowder was created in layers, which gives me more of a casserole vibe than soup vibe, but this chowder was not layered. And the reason I can say this certainly is because Ishmael describes the clams as being mixed together with the other ingredients. So not layered like the earlier version of clam chowder. So, with that introduction to the supporting cast... Let's now turn our attention to the star of any clam chowder, the clams. According to Mackenzie et al. in the Marine Fisheries Review, Buzzards Bay as well as Nantucket Bay, each with quote-unquote oceanic waters, boasts a catch of 90% chowders and the remainder nittle, little necks and cherry stone clams. 
Most people do use chowder clams in their clam chowders, believe it or not. However, notice how Ishmael describes the clams as small, juicy, scarcely bigger than hazelnuts. Sure, he could be talking about chowder clams chopped into small pieces, but given he goes into so much detail about the other ingredients, such as the pounded chip biscuit and the salt pork chopped into little flakes, wouldn't it make sense that he'd specify if the clams were of a larger variety, broken down into smaller chunks? I mean, as far as he could tell. This makes me think that the clam was not a larger varietal such as a chowder clam, but rather a smaller one, such as a little neck or cherry stone clam. Little necks are known to be smaller and sweeter than the cherry stone, so that is my best guess for the varietal in the chowder. According to the text alone, my shopping list for this recipe consists of little neck clams, ship biscuit, salt pork, cream, butter, and pepper. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be adding a few ingredients not mentioned, onions, leeks, and an unknown alcohol, which I've been holding back until now to tell you about. Where does the booze play in? Well, there are some ingredients that I can't perfectly recreate. For example, the milk that has that fishy flavor that Ishmael describes is not an ingredient that I really want to procure. I can hack that flavor, though however, through a technique that will actually ultimately save me time and, and you as well if you try this recipe yourself. That technique is I will steam the clams in beer before they go into the chowder and then save all that tasty, salty liquid to put back into the chowder. All in all, by using some special ingredients from the period and mixing in some modern techniques, I will now attempt to make a clam chowder that tastes very close to the original. Stay tuned as I take you into my kitchen, where I will make chowder from Herman Melville's Moby Dick. If you want to cook along with me, you can find the recipe on Instagram at literally delicious, excuse me, at literally delish pod. Make sure I get that right. That is at L-I-T-E-R-A-L-L-Y, delish, spelled D-E-L-I-S-H pod. So, let's just get to it, folks. Why just read it when you can eat it, too? Let's get to cooking. All right, we are in the kitchen about to make some chowder from Herman Melville's Moby Dick. I got here in a large pot about a cup of traditional lager on the boil. You know the stuff I'm talking about. Uh, one cup is about most of a 12-ounce bottle. You know what to do with the rest of it. And the left here, I've got... 50 little neck clams that I bought from my local fishmonger and I rinsed those off really well making sure to discard any that were not alive anymore. Uh, I rinsed them off and scrubbed them down with a stiff brush like a toothbrush if you're feeling crazy like that. So I'm putting them right now in my pot of lager. I'm going to close them up and I'm going to let those steam here for about five minutes or until they all open up. Okay. Meanwhile, over here, I've assembled the soup team. I've got about a quarter pound of salt pork here, which you can find in many butchers. It is pork that has been cured, as it says, in salt. And this is something that was definitely used a lot during Melville's day, especially on board ships where it kept so well. So in a large Dutch oven, 
which I've heated up. I'm going to put my salt pork, let that render down at a low heat. Come on. There we go. All right. And while that renders, I'm going to finish off the aromatics here. I've diced up a fairly decent sized onion and I've scrubbed down two leeks really well. Could get the sand and the grime off of them. So I'm just gonna finish chopping these up here while the clams finish their little steam bath, little sauna day here. And it's already starting to smell like chowder up in here. It smells like the ocean. Mm, love the yeasty and malty flavor coming from the beer. Just a nice even chop on the leeks. So most people in their clam chowder use, lo and behold, chowder clams. They're a lot bigger and they typically shuck the chowder clams, uh, which I kind of did away with here. One, because I think the little neck clams are more like what Ishmael enjoyed at the tripods. And another thing is I kind of like my fingers the way they are and I'd rather not cut them off while trying to shuck some clams here. So we're gonna stick here with the little necks. These are obviously, as you see, or hear, as you hear that I am doing right now, uh, really great for steaming. Uh, just in that same similar preparation. Get some beer or some white wine with some aromatics and some in the bottom of a pan and steam away. Okay, so I'm gonna give my salt pork here a little stir, making sure that that doesn't stick. And while I do that, let me tell you about the other key ingredient that I have here next to me. It is one cup of chip biscuit which you can't buy in stores, really. I had to go on Amazon, and, and what I purchased was a brand called Sailor Boy Pilot Bread. It's a Richmond-made uh, hardtack, as it's called in the military community, and uh, we just love to support a local Virginia company. So, uh, not a sponsor, but Sailor Boy, if you're listening, love your stuff. And so, just to keep in the essence of the 19th century, I pounded out this hardtack or ship biscuit uh, with a rolling mitt, rolling pin. And you, could, of course, could put it in your food processor. I thought that would be cheating, as uh, they, of course, did not own food processors in Melville's day. So, I Beat those up to about the consistency that you would make graham cracker crumbs for uh, like a graham cracker crust. Our clams are just about done here. All the big ones have opened up. I'm gonna take that off the heat. So I don't want them overcooked. Clams are really, really high in protein. And for that, you don't wanna dry them out. And to aid in that, uh, not drag out your clams, I've melted a half a stick of butter and I'm going to pour that right over top of these bad boys here so that they can simmer away. All right, of course, I'm going to take my clams out of the shell. Let me try one here. 
for the sake of science, making sure they're nice and juicy, about mahogany, uh, about hazelnut size, excuse me, as Ishmael says. I want to get all of this clam liquor back into the pot. That's good stuff. Very juicy indeed. Really great saltiness. And those are going to be delicious. Okay. So when those cool off a little bit, in about 10 minutes after I've sweated down all the aromatics in the same pot as the salt pork, I'm going to take these clams out of their shells and pour all of that liquor and all of that clammy goodness into this Dutch oven here. So stay tuned for that. All right, for the sake of science here, I got my girlfriend with a pilot, uh, Sailor Boy pilot bread, and we're gonna try one of these and it's completely unadulterated, undoctored form here. So we're gonna break it up and we're gonna taste it. It looks very hard. It is very hard. Okay, cheers. Cheers, and... Mm. It's dry. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get enough saliva back in my <laughs> mouth to say something. Um, it's nothing like a digestive, but you compared it to. It looks like it. It looks like a digestive cookie, but it's dry. You don't have to eat the rest of it. Yeah. Well, sorry, Sailor Boy Pilot Bread. You make a wonderful product. Really uh, big in the survivalist community. Did you know that? No, I didn't. These things will last forever. They seem like they will. But get your get your own, and they may not last that long. They're really, they're something. They're something. I feel like if you add some moisture to them, they might liven up a little bit. Like in a soup. Like in a soup. Well, here we go. Let's do just that then. All right. We've got the salt pork uh, just about ready to come out of the pan. I forgot to mention that you don't want to keep it in there the whole time. Uh, just take it out after you render out its fat so it doesn't get all dry on you. And then with that fat, saute your aromatics. Okay. Clams are looking good here. I'm going to start to take those out of their shells here without hopefully causing too much harm to my fingers. I will give you an appendage update as soon as I finish deshelling these clams. Alright, so right after that little taste test, I took my salt pork out of the Dutch oven, put it on a dish with a paper towel on top of it, catch some of the grease, uh, and in the residual fat left in the pan, I'm sauteing my aromatics. Now, uh, cook your salt pork like you would your bacon, though do be aware it is a raw pork product, so uh, air on the overside, and you'll get some delightfully chewy little pieces of salt pork. What I'm gonna do next here is take the pounded up ship biscuit and actually add it in with my aromatics and all of that uh, oil from the salt pork, creating something like a roux, okay? Just a little bit of technique here. So we're not getting too far off from the original recipe, even though in those days they would have layered in the ship biscuit. We're going for something similar to what I believe they experienced at the tripods, which was a lovely little thick roux-like soup here. Okay, 
So I don't, obviously I don't want these ship biscuits to burn. Our leeks and onions are already translucent. So I'm going to marry these two pots together. I'm going to take here the clams and all of their wonderful juice that they've let out and pour that in the pot. In essence, I'm doing here basically the deglaze of the pan and I'm going to kind of scrape the bottom here. Oh yeah, it's already very thick, very nice looking. All right. So now the only spice I'm going to add to it is one which I think it's pretty certain that they had in Nantucket in the late 19th century. It's just some pepper, coarse ground black pepper here. So I'm going to add this nice and liberally. About a whole uh, teaspoon of black pepper goes in. You can always add more later. Not going to add any salt here because your clams are super salty. And of course the salt pork, salty as well, hence the name. So this is looking very nice and very thick. So I'm going to slowly add in my half and half, which I've brought down to room temperature so as not to uh, make it curdle when it hits that really, really hot uh, roux that I've made. And I'm using half and half here. You could use milk or heavy cream, but I wanted to pick something that I had readily available and something not too, too thick. So I've added about two cups. I'm gonna stir that in. Letting it all meld together here. I'm turning up the heat a little bit at this point just to make it simmering. Yes, it's already nice and thick. Beautiful. I'm gonna add the salt fork in at the very end because it's already cooked and I don't wanna kill it. But this is looking wonderful. It smells like clam chowder. It is clam chowder. It's an OG clam chowder. And I'm going to return the lid onto the top of the Dutch oven most of the way. I'm gonna let it get back to a simmer, add my salt pork back in, and then we will give it a taste. I'm very excited. Okay, I got the soup back up to a simmer. I'm going to add back in the salt pork. It's gonna be a nice chewy, crunchy element. You can almost sprinkle it in over top as a crunchy cracker, but I think to stay true to the original here, I will put it in with the rest of the soup and stir it and that will soften it a little bit. Oh, this is getting so thick, so creamy. All right. You can let this simmer for, I'd say about five minutes, turning it back to low. You don't want to simmer it for too long. You're just going to keep getting thicker and thicker as a roux does. So I'm going to take it now off of its heat. Get a bowl here and spoon myself some clam chowder like Ishmael had it. Let me get a spoon here. Always an important part of soup eating. All right, I'm excited. This is chowder from Moby Dick.
It tastes like it's historic itself. You know, you ever have one of those dishes and you're like, it seems like this is something that this person's been making for 200 years, even though they're probably no older than, than I am. So let me get a nice juicy clam bite here for you. Hmm. Wish you could smell it. Oh wait, you can't. The clam stayed super juicy. The onions and leeks are just a very simple and uh, delicate, but at the same time satisfying approach to uh, clam chowder. Mm. So good. And the salt pork here, just a nice little crunchy element. So, wow, so good. I think I might even try the cod next time, but uh, I think that's an episode for another day. So I hope that you try this clam chowder recipe at home. I will, of course, post the recipe on our social media at, at literally delish pod. That is at L I T E R A L L Y delish pod. Hope to see you there. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Literally Delicious Podcast. I've been Nick, and we just made a really lovely version of clam chowder from Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Now, at the end of each episode, I want to leave you with a little bit of a dessert course, shall we say, something to think about as you go through the rest of your week. This is our last bite. In today's last bite, I just wanted to key in on one of the passages from uh, this clam chowder chapter of Moby Dick that I think really gets to something that we should think about in today's world where uh, the effects of climate change are around us and ever-present. And what I really want to alight on here is just how much the hussies, who are the owners of the tripods, use every single one of their ingredients down to the clam bones, which Mrs. Hussey wore as a necklace. And uh, those fish remnants, right, that we talked about earlier, that Mr. Hussey fed to their brindled cow, which gave the, the milk a fishy flavor. But anyway, these were not people who wasted anything. And I think that it's a really interesting contrast to the rest of the novel, where we get Captain Ahab, who literally wastes everything, his own life even, and the life of his crew to try to hunt the whale, Moby Dick. So I think that this contrast is is something to, to think about. The, the use of ingredients all the way through, down to the bone, using as much as we can and leaving no waste and perhaps leaving the world a, a healthier place than we found it is something that the chowder chapter of Moby Dick can, can really teach. And I uh, just wanted to bring out that that contrast here and and leave you with that to think about so thank you again for listening i hope to join you next episode next week where we will discuss a new recipe from a classic work of literature take care everyone and stay hungry mm-hmm.